wish I could find where I've decided to start. Um, and um, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 if you'd like. Not that that's where, you know, you need to be very long. We're going to be all over the place. I just feel funny not telling you to turn somewhere in your Bibles as we get started. So Ephesians 2.8, that's the first verse we're going to come across. It's going, there are going to be many verses. I don't mean for this to be information overload. Uh, I'm going to try to teach and speak and preach in such a way that we can get it, that you can uh, take notes and, and write down the verse and maybe a little bit of, about what I'm talking about from that verse if you need to. But we're starting, as I've said, our study on the church tonight. And I tell you what, there's the, the doctrine of salvation, for instance... I mean, there's, there's no more important doctrine than the doctrine of, of our salvation. And, and doctrine being the teaching of the Bible. The, the teaching from what the Bible says of what we believe. That's, that's doctrine. And so, there's no more important doctrine than the doctrine of salvation. But right up behind that in second place would be the doctrine of the church. The church is, is very important. And, and as much as I like inspiration, and I've had a focus of trying to preach a lot of informa- inspiration, we're going to have information for several weeks. And it's, what I started, it's the way I started out preaching, and, it, and it's what I love to do. And, and I just think it's a, a really good time that, that we all need this. I need it. I believe we all need it and, uh, and want it. Um, and, and so in, in getting started and thinking about the church, you know, and, and just thinking down the road after all these lessons, you know, I mean, I've had people ask me before, why, why do you go to church? What, what is church all about? I can worship God underneath this shade tree out here just like you can go to church. What's so important about church? You know, and, and, we, and we, we say we know this and we have answers, but... But we'll have a lot more answers and a lot of good answers after this study. But as this study is about the church, the first lesson is not going to be primarily about the church. It's going to be a lot of confusion about things that are, that are overlapping with the church in some people's mind. And so we're going to clear up a lot of confusion tonight as we talk about the family the kingdom, and we're going to close with a little bit about the church. The family as in the family of God. The kingdom as in the kingdom of God. And then after tonight, we're going to get into many details of the church. We're going to talk about the origin of the church. We're going to talk about the perpetuity of the church. We're going to talk about the nature of the church, the purpose of the church. And many details are, go on and on. Uh, about the church that we're going to have throughout this study. In the New Testament, you find the word church 117 times. 116 of those have the same definition, which we're going to get to in a while. That one is simply speaking about a temple, about robbers in the temple. And there's, there's one different definition, but out of 117, 116 times, it's the same Greek word. However, 
people are confused about the word church. People in religion, people in the name of Christianity are confused about the word church. One way we're going to clear up that confusion tonight is to consider the difference in the family of God, the kingdom of God, and the church. First of all, let's talk about the family of God and, and how do we become members of the family of God? How do we become members of the church? Do we become members of the family of God the same way that we become members of the church? Is it the same? Are there any differences? What does it mean to be a member of the family of God? Well, there's a lot of these questions that are going to be answered down the road. There's some questions about this that we're going to answer tonight. As far as becoming a member of the family of God, to go from a lost, unsaved sinner, dead in sins, to being in the family of God, it comes by one way. And that is by grace through faith. The verse before you there, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by grace through faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 4.16 says, It is of faith that it might be by grace. The requirements for entry into the family of God is by grace and through faith. It is a gift to become a member of the family of God and is by trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's all. God has made it known and it's very simple in His Word. What we might consider, where, where is the family of God? Where, 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 where is the whole family of God at? Everybody together. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, uh, 14 and 15 tell us this. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom... The whole family in heaven and earth is named. Where's the family of God? Well, first of all, everyone becomes the family of God on this earth before they leave this earth. But there's a lot of the family of God, then they have moved on to glory. And there's the family of God here upon this earth. The family of God is on earth. And the family of God is in heaven. And it's easy to see. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a member of the family of God, either on earth or in heaven. Again, everyone becomes a member of the family of God upon this earth by faith before they leave this earth. And, and that's from the youngest child of God, spiritually speaking today, to back through the ages to the first ones that God created. Aren't you glad 
to be a part of the family of God. That's the way the song goes, right? I'm, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I rejoice in that tonight. I remember when I was a sinner in darkness, lost in my sins, and living in the world, and, and doing, you know, I, I asked somebody one time, why did I do those things I do? And they said, you were doing what was natural. You were a sinner with a sin nature and, and nothing to help you do otherwise. But then, by grace, through faith, I and you became a member of the family of God. Let us rejoice in that tonight. Where we're going to spend most of our time, though, is on the kingdom. We're going to talk about some confusion concerning the kingdom of God tonight. Just as the Bible speaks of the family of God, the Bible also speaks of the kingdom of God. In the Bible, you will also find the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Are these two different kingdoms? What's different about them if they are? Are they the same kingdom? There's two terms that are used that I just mentioned here, and they've caused a lot of confusion. How do we find out? If this is one kingdom being spoken about, or if these are two kingdoms being spoken about. Well, the Bible explains the Bible. Scripture explains Scripture. The more you know the Bible, you know, in one sense, the more you, you read the Bible, the less you realize you know. But then again, the more you study the Bible, the more you can connect these things in the Bible. And, and so... As we would compare Scripture with Scripture, we find that we have two phrases concerning a kingdom. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And we find that both of these are the same kingdom. There are different aspects of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God we find to be the same thing. In Matthew 13 and verse 10 we can read of a parable. <clears throat> and it says in this parable, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now, Mark chapter 4 and verse 10. Let's look at how this one reads. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him a parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now, Luke chapter 8 and verse 9, again, And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might see, and hearing they might not understand. We clearly see that heaven 
and God are interchangeable here. The kingdom of heaven being spoken about and the kingdom of God being spoken about. When you compare scripture, you see that we have interchangeable words and it's speaking of the same thing. One kingdom. Now, where we read the kingdom of heaven, you find that in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven a lot. And you don't find it in the other Gospels. You find the kingdom of God. Why did Matthew write and use the kingdom of heaven? Well, there are several things that we might consider. One being that, that as he's writing to the Jews, the high regard for the name God and, and how it's used and where it's used might be the reason why he used the kingdom of heaven so much. Bottom line... It does not mean, he did not use that word because it's speaking of two kingdoms. It's one kingdom, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same kingdom. As far as the aspects of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God can speak of an authority. The authority of God is a reason for the use of the term in one way or another sometimes. And, and then there are the times that the kingdom of God is spoken of in the present aspect. We also have the kingdom of God spoken of in the future aspect. Information going out. We're going to tie all this together. Hang in there with me. Take your notes. Do whatever but we're going to tie this together and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God in the present versus the future aspect of the kingdom of God, what has transpired and what would have been in the present and, and up to this day. Look, John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God. He was the forerunner for Jesus. He came ahead and what did he preach? He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, I'm going to go here and read a few things to you. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And then we also have, in chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus says to his apostles, And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven. The apostles preached the kingdom of heaven. Jesus instructed them and lined them out on doing so. The Jews heard about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that it's at hand in the present aspect. 
But the Jews had a misconception of things. The Jews would say this, the kingdom that is coming will be ushered in by this Messiah and it will be a literal visible kingdom at His arrival. That's what the Jews were thinking. That's what the Jews were looking for. They misunderstood the truth of the kingdom. And a lot of that was for selfish reasons. They thought that a kingdom was going to come in and it was going to release them, rid them of Roman bondage. But instead of a visible kingdom coming, with the coming of the Messiah, a crucifixion came. When the Messiah came, He came and He walked this earth. And then he was crucified on a cross for all of our sins. And the Jews just couldn't understand how, how a king, a leader, the Messiah would come and then he would be nailed to a cross. So this kingdom was a mystery to the Jews. But Jesus told a parable explaining this mystery. You can turn with me to Luke 19.11 and I'm going to read this parable explaining the mystery. Luke 19. And verse 11. It says, And as they heard these things, He added and spake a parable, because He was nigh to Jerusalem. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. You see what they thought? What they wanted? He said, therefore, this parable to explain it. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Here we see that it was not the plan of Christ and what He didn't do was usher in a visible, physical kingdom at this time when He came. But that He would first go away to receive a kingdom. When Jesus was before Pilate, He said, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus didn't usher a kingdom into this world when He came. The way that you and I are in the kingdom of God is by way of a future viewpoint that we are in the kingdom. Jesus is preparing His kingdom. God's people are not building the kingdom. You will hear people out there saying that they are in the work of building the kingdom of God. 
No, they're not. Jesus is building His kingdom. Jesus is preparing His kingdom. Jesus is doing the work. Jesus is taking out a people for His kingdom. Jesus is saving people on this earth right now. And He's doing so for His kingdom. This kingdom of His, it is not seen outwardly right now. It's not a visible kingdom. And at the same time, I want to say this though. Jesus' kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom and it's within us. We will be the kingdom of God. It's as good as done, it's just not done yet. Jesus says in Luke 17 and verse 20, just putting together a few of the words from these verses, the kingdom cometh not with observation, okay, not that, not that you can see it, not with observation, but the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is not presently visible, but the kingdom of God is as real as it can be. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. As much as I've said there's not a visible kingdom, and by, by way of the, the actual kingdom that's coming, it's not visible, but there is a sense in which Jesus' kingdom is visible. And it's by way of you and I living as children of God and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives to the world. That is one way that there's a visibility of the kingdom by the rule of Christ in our hearts and the fruit of the Spirit having a bearing of fruit out of our lives as a result of the Lord of this kingdom. You know, we're not perfect right now. No Christian is perfectly in submission to the Spirit of God. We are not bearing all of the fruit that we are to bear for our Lord. And, and so this, the, what can be seen, it is not perfect, but this real kingdom, it is coming in person one day. And in that day, Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron when His kingdom comes. His kingdom is coming. And we're going to go into this future kingdom. But there's the kingdom in the present. Think about the model prayer that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. The model prayer that Jesus gave. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We're to be praying for the coming of the kingdom of our Lord. Only He knows when it's coming. But we're to be praying that prayer. And so there's the aspect of the kingdom in the present. But let's look at the aspect of the kingdom in the future. And I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. 
It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The kingdom of Christ, it's coming. He's building it. He's preparing it. And he's coming. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." God is taking out a people for His kingdom. And as He is, and when He is finished, which is something only He knows the timing of, only He knows when, when all that's going to happen, then He will come. Jesus is coming to the clouds someday. Maybe one day soon. Any day. He's coming to the clouds and He's going to rapture up all of those who are His children. He's going to rapture up the family of God. And then He is going to appoint seven years of tribulation for those who are not His family. And after that, He will reign on this earth for 1,000 years. His kingdom is coming on this earth for 1,000 years. There are going to be unsaved people on this earth during that time. You know, so in a sense, you can say that there are going to be unsaved people in the kingdom. But make no mistake about it, they're not of the kingdom. They're not spiritually of the kingdom. It's kind of like children of God. We are in this world but we are not of this world. And, and so, we, as we consider His thousand-year reign coming and Him coming, then after the thousand-year reign, Christ is going to deliver up the kingdom to God. That doesn't mean Christ was used for something and then He's going to be reduced after that. 
I had a friend that was manager of a grocery store years ago. And, and from main office, he was told, you got to cut costs. Financially, man, you've got to tighten things up. And he had a really good produce man. And he paid him a lot of money because he was so good. The store manager went and worked with the produce man for a whole week. Everything, he said, I want to know everything you do. I just want to learn how to do what you do. And he followed him around for a whole week. And, and he learned it. And then he let the produce man go at the end of that week. So he could train someone else and have them work for a lot cheaper hourly rate. He just used him for uh, a portion of business, and then he demoted him. He demoted him to, to out of the company. He fired him. That is quite to the contrary of what happened to Jesus when Jesus ushered up the kingdom to God. He, that's not to say that Christ has done some kind of lower level work, and then he's going to be reduced from his high position because he will deliver. Deliver the kingdom up to God. It's quite the contrary. This is going to be the final completion of Christ over all of his enemies at the end of this thousand year reign. The unsaved will physically be in the kingdom, as we said, but not of the kingdom. And at that time, they are going to be cast out. And only the saved are going to be in the Father's kingdom. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29. Jesus says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And it's at that time that there is that complete gathering together in one. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9 speaks of a gathering together in one, all things. And that is when the completion of this is going to happen. So, so there's the family of God we've talked about, which is all saved people. And we enter the family of God by grace and through faith. And that's different from the church. Then there's the kingdom of God. And we consider some aspects of it. The authority of the kingdom, the present kingdom, and, and the future aspect of the kingdom, which is different from the church. So now let's close with a few words on the church. 116 times out of 117 times, the word for church means assembly. And we're going to expound on that definition more next week. We're going to expound on the church more and talk a lot about the church next week. But concerning this word church that we find in the New Testament, Jesus used this word church. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus says... I will build my church. Who started the church? Is, you know, I, I've been told by people that this is a man-made organization. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus had a three and a half year earthly ministry 
before he ascended back up to heaven. And people were saved. People were baptized. And among those, Jesus selected an assembly. He selected 12 to carry out his work upon this earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28 says this, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles. Jesus gathered up and assembled his apostles. The church did not begin on the day of Pentecost. The church began by Jesus as he went through his earthly ministry and he gathered up the assembly and he organized them to do his work. God has set some in the church, first apostles. He gathered up and he started with the apostles. And they followed the Lord. And they were taught by the Lord. And other churches were started from this church. There was the adding of the church. There was, from this church, other churches came about. And other churches were started. Where does a baby kangaroo come from? A baby kangaroo comes from a mama and a daddy kangaroo. Where does a giraffe come from? A giraffe comes from a daddy and a mama giraffe. Where does a church come from? A church comes from another church. Like produces like. And churches produce churches. And nothing has ever changed this pattern. The authority, this is, I'm going into another lesson. But the authority to do the work of God upon this earth has been given to the church. The church sends out and the church authorizes the work of God. And a church starts another church. That's the only scriptural way it can happen. And by the way, I might get a little heat from this, you know, from somebody, but I don't care. Any Christian ministry is to have a sending church. Any any Christian organization or company or whatever that approaches me wanting to do something to help this church, uh, the first thing I ask is, who is your supporting church? Where did this ministry come out of that you were doing? The authority to do the work of the Lord is given to His church. The Lord's church is to be studied. His church is to be learned. And, and there's a practice of a lot of things in the church. Just three things I want to mention as we're closing. That the church is to be practicing. That is the spread of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one. Pray that churches do not lose that focus. And all they do and what they do when they gather and in all their programs and in all their ministries and this church too, that, that we would not lose our focus of sharing the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we would defend the faith 
and that other churches would be started out of this church. And we're going to share all those things at, at length in our study. And, and as we close, we're not going to have a, a hymn of invitation tonight. I'm not saying we won't throughout this study. There are times that we will, and there are just simply times that we won't. But I, but I will say this, that of, of what you have a chance to do before you, you leave this building, and, and you can even do it while, right now while I'm uh, speaking and interrupt me, but have you let God put your life in the church? Are you a member of the Lord's true church? Or have you joined His church? Have you been accepted by the people? Have you been baptized? Are you a member of His church? When, when, when someone gets saved and then goes before the church and by the authority of the church, one is baptized, then they become a member of the church. I'll tell you what, I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. But... But I knew that Jesus had saved me. And very shortly later, I was baptized. And I knew that I needed to be not just in the family of God, but a member of His church. And I'm not saying that I can break my arm patting myself on the back for all of that. But the Lord put me in His church. I simply obeyed His leading and He put me in the church. And if there's anyone here tonight who's not a member of the Lord's church, we pray that you would be. But, but maybe for someone, there, there needs to be something else before that. You need to be saved. You need to be saved from your sins. And by grace, by the gift of God through faith, don't get nervous about yourself and your life and where it is, just as you are. Do you realize you're a sinner tonight? Do you understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And He commands you to be saved, that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you trust Him with your life. You trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Sin pays in death. And that, that's not just physical death. That's separation from God in eternity. But to trust in Jesus Christ is to have all your sins forgiven and know that you have a home in heaven. Would you refuse that tonight? Or would you trust Him? Actually, Ryan, come on up and lead us in a little something. Acapella. And we're going to have a time of invitation after all. And if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus, we, we pray that you trust Him tonight. And we'll help you with any question you have. Or if you realize that God is leading you, child of God, to put your life in the church, to be a member of His church. You move and, and by the authority and by the way we're scripturally authorized, we'll receive you. We're going to have a word of prayer and then have a time of invitation. And, and if the Lord's dealing with your heart, don't leave here. You, you just might be able to brush it off for a little while after you leave here. I'll pray that you can't. But if God is moving on your heart right now, would you move your feet? And, and, and maybe just come tell me you've trusted in Jesus. Right now, 
first time ever in your life, tonight you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe, you, you cast aside any other religious thoughts you've ever learned about trying to be a good enough person to go to heaven. If you're trying to be a good person, guess what? It's never going to be good enough. That's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life. That's what it took to satisfy God the Father, a perfect life. And Jesus lived that perfect life for us. And He died in our place. He didn't have to die. We, we have a death sentence on us. But He took it. He took it for you. Would you believe in Jesus tonight? Would you say, yes, I'll take Jesus tonight as my Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Father in heaven... We do thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your, this study and that you would have your hand on me and help me to be able to convey your truth. Lord, and, and we can share the importance of your precious church that you gave your life for. And we can learn everything about what you established and what you instituted on the face of this earth and left here for us. Father, I thank you for, for, saving, for saving me, for saving the people of God and, and those you have put in the life of, put in, your, put in your church. They have put their lives in your church by your leading. They've obeyed you. And if there be one here tonight without a church home, we pray that, that they might trust you, that their lives will be put in the church. If there's one here tonight who is lost, who does not know the gift of your saving grace, we pray they'd receive Jesus tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If everyone could please stand. Fall rise, this is your time of invitation.